Right, right. First one. All good. Uh, yeah, how are you? Pretty good, you? Not too bad, not too bad. Just been on a, a call. Um, but yeah, I'm good. You sound kind of far away. Let me adjust my cell and bring this closer. Amazing. So um, we're recording the video, oh, but it's probably just going to be an audio. Yeah, that's fine. Unfortunately, I'm not dots yet. Um, yeah, I haven't revealed my identity to the world. Does that mean I'm going to be speaking to a blank screen the entire time? I think so. I think so. Well, uh, my laptop is um, it's on my desk. It's actually behind my uh, monitors right now. So, yeah, it's just kind of... Uh, oh, is that why? Is that okay, okay. with you? Apologies about that. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> and so where are you now? Are you in the States or...? Yeah, I'm actually in um Jersey. It's not that exciting. It's like one of those places where it's close enough to New York. If you tell like people who just have no idea Northeastern geography, you're like, yeah, it's New York. But then for anyone who's in New York, they're like, bro, that is so far away from New York. And so how far away is it from New York? I've actually never been before. Yeah, um, so on a good day, it's just 40 minutes. But like um, if you're stuck in traffic, it's like an hour and a half, like south. Right. I'm going to be coming to New York this year. Um, I might stay there for like four, six weeks or something, but... Um, yeah, definitely. Let me know when you're in town. Yeah. Do you like it? Do you like it in New York? To be honest, I kind of moved because I thought it was really toxic. Um, yeah, but like in my early like analyst years, I definitely think it was the absolute best place to start your career and just party all the time. Yeah. Is it a good party life though? Hmm? Is it a good uh, party life in New York? For sure. Um, yeah, like absolutely wild. But also, I uh, I don't know what this means, but it definitely took away, like it takes away some people's innocence. Yeah, uh, that's where all the, the Milady Reds are in New York. There's a bunch of them, a uh, bunch of them there, right? I was going to fly over for one, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah, they are, the Milady Reds, uh, the Milady NFT? Um, yeah, I do know that they do have these days, and yeah, there's like quite a quite a cult surrounding the Miladies. Yeah, it's a little bit strange, but it's good. It's good, uh, good partying to be honest. I think the whole bunch of reds there. So. Yeah, is it just me, or there's like a particular love within the community for like ugly NFTs? What in, uh, in the Milady community? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like that. Like you purposely make the lines not really like it's not perfect, right? It's not like beautiful i wouldn't say it's There's like so many of them I mean, like, art. The, the original ones are fine but i think people just make like all the, the weird derivative versions as well so um mm -hmm. yeah it's a little, little bit of a strange community but i heard people in new york right uh, they're a little bit strange as well so yeah <laughs> bro you sound so far away i need to sound closer are you like what what are you using i'm using this is my new laptop this is the m1 can you not hear me I do hear you, but it sounds like you're like standing like across the room and you refuse to come toward the other. Can you hear me now? Is this better? This is a little better. I'm not happy, but <laughs> I'm happy. <here. laughs> uh, let me know if the, uh, the quality is good. Um, I'm actually trying to speak as loud as possible as well. Um, okay, maybe just a soft speaker and I'm giving you like flack for it. <laughs> Man, that's the first time I've ever been called a soft speaker. Like most people can't understand my accent, so. All right. Well, yeah, your accent. Um, no, it's not that bad. Maybe it's because I've lived in London now for like two years. But. Yeah, where where did you live in London? 
Um, so I was and I'm just playing around the controls. Um, I was in uh, mostly East London. So I first at first lived in um, Hoxton, like a little bit up north by the river. And then I moved. OK, I was still in Hoxton, but I was in a cooler place in Hoxton. Wow. Um, and then I was like uh, basically very close to Shoreditch, Hoxton. Yeah, Shoreditch is nice. I mean, I didn't really live in a nice area, right? I lived in Brixton. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I'm watching my fucking microphone. Yeah, it is really low, right? I don't know why it's low. Let me move closer. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, like, come toward. <laughs> I, I literally can't get any more closer to the laptop, right? So is this okay? Are you kissing the keyboard? Are you trying your <laughs> best? <laughs> and my head is literally at the speakers right now. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah, I lived in Brixton for a while. Isn't that uh, like a cool and upcoming place, though? Um, I don't know about that. I mean, that's what people like to say who don't live in Brixton. But, I mean, there's a few stories I can tell you about Brixton. There's uh, a few bad things happened there while I was living oh, there. Oh, tell me. Yeah. I mean, someone got shot in the head three doors down from me. So, that was oh one God. thing. Um, and then there was like three fatal stabbings um, within a half mile radius of the house. That's such so, a long thing. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, but apart from that, like, it actually is nice. <laughs> <laughs> apart from the killings and murders once in a while. Yeah, yeah. So well, I, I remember, like, um, the night that I happened, I was in my bedroom. I thought I was uh, hearing fireworks. It was like someone was having, um, I wasn't someone. It was like a, there was a big block party, like, on mm. the opposite side of the street to me. And there was, like, 500 people there. Um, so I hear, like, this bang, but I just assumed it was, like, fireworks or something. Mm. Um but yeah, it wasn't fireworks. So uh, yeah, me and my friend, oh, we seen everyone run uh, down the street and then like 150 fucking police officers turned up. Like full on riot gear, like they had the shields and shit, completely uh, dressed up. But um, yeah, we, we walk out the house, um, walk down the street and we see it all basically cornered off. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a body bag on the street and we're just asking the officers what happened. Oh, and yes, someone got shot in the head, literally three doors down from me. So... It Do you is think it, is. is it like a gang thing? Because especially if they had guns, like in the UK, it is, a, it is a gang thing. It is a gang thing. So I don't really think. I mean, they target girls, right? Because they'll just steal anything from a girl. But so if you're like with a group of guys, or like there's a big group of you, you're completely fine. Um, I never had any trouble happen to me in London, um, especially like walking home at night and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I definitely think most of it is gang warfare, basically. But kinda I have to say, London did not treat me very well. Like I kinda got used right. to it in the end because it just felt, you know, I, I do love the domestic vibe. Like I think that's something that's really unique to European cities. Like in New York, um, it's very like you have to be um like hustling all the time on the go. You can't you get FOMO sitting at home in your apartment and that's like one of the toxic things I didn't like about it. So wow. in Europe, I do give you that. Like, that's very comfortable because you could, like, go out for a wild clubbing night, but also, you know, go home and be comfortable and be okay. Yeah, but I was mugged twice in the span of three months when I first got to London. I was like, this cannot be real. Like, yeah, what you is this? You're like five foot three, right? You're like five foot three, did you say? Yes, I'm five foot three. Yeah, you should not be walking by yourself. <laughs> it was broad daylight and it was like seriously and then like afterwards it was such a slap in the face because the guy came on bike he just like came up to me grabbed it i think like my hand touched him like, this is was so gross phone, not this store? yes yeah i mean and where the fuck was this this was like during daytime right 
no, it was like not even dark. It was literally 10 a.m. in the morning. I just got my booster shot from the NHS. <laughs> and like the slap in the face really came when the guy was cycling away and he was going super slowly like he wasn't even fucking trying to run away from me Joe, the, uh, the lesson about that story is what so you don't get your booster shot <laughs> <laughs> are really? you anti-vaxxer <laughs> i'm not an anti-vaxxer i'm not an anti-vaxxer i mean we can get into this a little bit if we want to um i'm not an anti-vax i'm a i'm a man of science but i also disliked what happened in the UK in terms of forcing everyone to uh, get the vaccine if they didn't want to. And I mm -hmm. think it was perfectly fine for the elderly to get vaccinated. And also that the entire propaganda that was, I mean, this is one of the main reasons why I left the UK, right? Um, yeah. I was i was basically watching everyone lose their minds and capitulate to uh, what was an authoritarian government that I thought at the time. Um, but yeah, I was uh, watching all these restrictions happening in real time and uh, watching them shove propaganda down people's throats in terms of this vaccine stops the transmission. And I, I have friends who got the vaccine, right? I have, I have nothing wrong with people getting the vaccine at all. I just don't want to be told what to do. Um, so I was obviously, I was like, at the, at the start, I was like, I'll, I'll wait and see what, what it's like over the next six to 12 months, for example, and then I'll make a decision. But once I seen um, the entire population uh, getting forced, and I was kind of like, this is a little bit weird, let me take a step back. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was a very strange moment in uh, modern history, to be honest. So uh, yeah, that's, that's probably one of the main reasons why I left the UK. Yeah, um, interesting. Is that the first time that you've like left the UK for a really long time? Forever. This is the first time. <gasps> Ooh. So how's, how's your world travel then? I mean, it's good, right? I've been traveling all over. I went to uh, Paris. Uh, I go to Korea. I'm here in Dubai right now. Um, but yeah, I basically said I'll never give my uh, taxes to an authoritarian government ever again. I absolutely refuse to do it. Um, so mm -hmm. I came to Dubai, got like a, a business entity set up here. Um, basically, I mean, you don't even have to spend that long in Dubai, right? It's 183 days and then you can go elsewhere. Um, but in general, uh, what was I saying? Oh, next year, they're decreasing it from 183 days to 90 days. Wow. So for me, it's kind of perfect, right? I go back to the UK three months a year. Um, and then I spend three months in Dubai and then I spend six months traveling. So it's, uh, it's a very ideal situation for me. Plus there's zero income or capital gains tax as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's perfect right now. It's a really good setup. And, uh, yeah, I just got a little bit sick of, uh, listening to the government, to be honest. So I'm very yeah. much a, a nomad right now with a, a base in Dubai. Wait, so I love it because I asked about travels and you're so finance focused. You're like, yeah, like, you know, this is my business setup. Um, but what about like this cultural opening that you've had? Like, how has that been? What, within Dubai? Well, like within everywhere, like since it's the first, wait, unless I got this wrong, is it not the first time that you left the UK or is it the first no, time? Oh, I've left a few times, right? I've left oh, okay. Um, I mean, I've only been to America once and that was to go to Disneyland when I was little. I went to, uh, I went to the largest McDonald's in the world and that's my only conception of America right now. Love it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think traveling has been interesting. I mean, I, um, yeah, it, it makes me realize like I didn't really, there's no real incentive for me to go back home to live for a while. I think the UK is getting worse on many dimensions. Um, so for me, I, I, I just basically wanted to uh, leave as soon as possible after COVID. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do like Asia in general. Um, I, I spend quite a bit of time in Seoul right now for work. Um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's also like a really interesting culture. 
Um, like everyone there is like really uh, polite, well dressed. Um, completely the opposite of the UK. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, northern UK, northern UK. Anyway, so the south's fine. Um, but yeah, it's it's been sick. I I really like traveling. So um, yeah. Okay. So tell us more about your business in Seoul. Yeah, I mean, I I work for ROK Capital, uh, which is a f- um, a multi strategy hedge fund based out of South Korea. Um, so yeah, there I do a lot of the the deep technical research, which inform decisions both on the the primary side, like in the venture. Um, and then also on the secondary markets as well, uh, in terms of like uh, doing derivatives uh, catalyst trading. Um, so yeah, I basically work for a multi-strategy hedge fund uh, there. Uh, and eventually we will be raising for uh, a venture-only vehicle there um, to basically just separate the uh, the primary book and the secondary book. Uh, but yeah, I do, uh, like I said, I do a lot of the, the deep technical research there, obviously being like a Solidity developer and being in the space for a very long time. Yeah, that's basically why I do it. Wow, that was so professional. Um, I feel like I haven't really touched that world for a really long time. And so is your background in TradFi or is it in development? It's actually not. Um, it's not in <laughs> TradFi. Um, so first and foremost, I'm like a, a software developer. Actually, uh, first and foremost, I'm a chemical engineer. I've studied in oh chemical engineering at a university for a very long time. Well, not a very long time. I did my undergraduate, right? But yeah, it's very focused on renewable energy and climate science. I was working like with uh, the head of my department simultaneously uh, simultaneously during that degree. And I was basically trying to get wind turbines to work underwater. So I was doing that for like 18 to wow. 24 weeks as well. So yeah, my, my background was in chemical engineering. And then I eventually did a, a master's degree in computer science. And my dissertation was all focused on uh, the uh, Ethereum scalability, or the, uh, the um, scalability trilemma, and then just basically investigating uh, scalability solutions to solve that problem, um, whether it be sharding or something like uh, zero-knowledge rollups. Um, but at the time, it was actually based on state channels. And state channels were like, there's a, a really prominent scalability solution. 2018, 2019, it didn't really come to fruition. But yeah, it's it really interesting to uh, see the concepts of rollups being purely researched at that time to actually coming to uh, full fruition, both with uh, optimistic rollups and zero-knowledge rollups as well. What year was that? And were you like one of two people maybe who yeah. did a master's in blockchain yeah 100 percent. um that was 2018 2019 i was doing it i think a lot of the people uh on my course as well they were very focused on just like a, a traditional based stuff right they were just trying to build a web app but simultaneously i was also doing machine learning so i was going to do my dissertation on machine learning first uh, and i actually got an offer to do a phd at the turing institute um in right. london uh, for machine learning, but it's kind of like weighing what route do I go down, right? I, machine learning and uh, block on oh, machine learning was a lot more cemented at the time. Blockchain was a lot more uh, suspicious. I mean, ETH was at two hundred; no one really cared. So that sounds uh, so good. Yeah, it was very good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had, I had friends telling me twenty four seven I was going to lose all of my money. I basically uh, I got started by putting my student loan. Um, oh my god! Leverage yeah. immediately. Yeah. Um, well, no, well, this is actually a funny story. So I did leverage. And I actually blew up three derivatives trading accounts while at university. So everything that I had, which was only my student loan, I lost. So I ended up like working at a bar for a while. Um, and I was basically just shoveling all of the, the bar money to buy ETH. And I just bought the spot. But I mean, losing that amount of money actually taught me a lot about trading in general. But yeah, you definitely learn a lot of money, uh, a lot of lessons losing money, that's for sure. But thankfully, it wasn't really a large amount of money at the time. I feel like like I learned a lot of these solid foundations when it comes to trading, 
simply by losing or blowing up a few derivatives trading accounts. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the things I admire anyone who works at a hedge fund or I guess like really, I mean, there was a lot of people I think in DeFi who do just trade their own <laughs> books. But the emotional journey of being a trader and having that kind of risk appetite, like what are your insights about yourself that, you know, your, what is your psychological trading profile? Yeah, um, I had a really bad problem with revenge trading because I hate <laughs> losing. And that was basically why I blew up the derivatives trading accounts. Um, yeah, for me, it's kind of I, I, I view risk and also markets as well as like the, the best way to learn about the psychology of yourself and also uh, human beings in general. And I think if you're right, you can ac accurately predict human behavior within markets and you get rewarded for that financially. And I always had like a, a really deep interest in psychology. Uh, so I was uh, reading a lot of like uh, Sigmund Freud, a lot of Jung at university as well, and also doing a, a bunch of uh, reading a bunch of philosophy as well. So I was really interested in uh, just like the, uh, the subconscious or what actually drives humans. And I think the, the best way to learn about that is through financial markets, because you see all of the, the euphoria and the depression, the whole spectrum of human emotion is present within markets. So that's why they were uh, very interesting to me. But in terms of like my, my trading profile in general, it's, uh, yeah, I love to revenge trade. I love to glory trade as well, um, meaning I'm trying to buy the exact bottom and sell the exact top. But by learn, like the most important thing to do is to actually be emotionless. Um, trading is not meant to be like an emotional uh, activity. You're meant to be very objective. Um, and either when people lose money or they don't make as much money as they should, they were too emotional. And they weren't thinking objectively and rationally. So I think that's kind of like a, a bunch of things I learned about trading. Yeah, definitely. So you're you're super professional. And I'm, I feel like anyone who enters my podcast, it's almost like I'm that friend that takes you out drinking and keeps telling you like you should just take another shot because it's going to be okay. So we're going to we're going to do the equivalent of that. But like for me on the podcast, right? because um, <laughs> I'm like, come on, bro. I like I know your tweets. I feel like we can do this. Um, tell me about, you know, what we're going to solve like, sorry. Uh, a little bit softer. So for the Blockchain Society, were you part of the Blockchain Society when you were at uni? Um, there wasn't really a Blockchain Society. No, it was uh, 2018, 2019. No one really cared. And all, all the guys as well, like I didn't really mix with them. I mean, I'll be completely honest, right? I didn't even go to lectures. Um, I was too busy <laughs> drinking in the pub. Um, and for me to kind of like join that uh, society, it didn't really interest me at the time. But yeah, I just got like a really obsessive about it i just read read it all by myself basically uh told myself a bunch of things like cryptography distributed systems um all of my spare time when i wasn't hung over and and yeah I was, I was too busy drinking at the time i, I didn't really go to university lectures basically i uh, just showed up and did the exam and did the projects and stuff like that but apart from that i was too busy uh drinking alcohol unfortunately <laughs> that is super cool like right now i'm trying to place you in kind of the landscape that i've assessed that the entire like ct is made of but i can't really place you like how would you place yourself in terms of culturally socially like where are you what corner of ct are you in it's <sighs> a tricky question um i'd probably say no i'm not i wouldn't really i mean I, I i like to do the development stuff this is one of the things i always say right especially within crypto the the, the best way to make money is to be a developer and a trader because traders miss out on the actual underlying innovation that's happening, that's driving markets. And then developers can't, don't know when to sell or buy an asset. So 
I mean, for me, I've always viewed of like being both. But yeah, I don't really like to group myself. I probably agree with you, right? I don't really think I can group myself. I know I'm, uh, I've been, I, I got brought up in a very small town in England, right? So for me to be like very interested in like physics and philosophy and stuff like that, it was a little bit outside of what like that town was about. So I, I'm pretty used to that comment, to be honest. Okay, cool. Okay, well, so let me try to get to know you better. Um, what were you like in high school growing up? What was I like in high school? Ah, interesting. Um, I was not very well behaved, I don't think. Um, I was quite bored with school. Um, so yeah, I was I was quite well, uh, not well behaved. I was quite unwell behaved at that time. I was very obsessed with sport for a while. Very into uh, football. Did you play? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I played football for a while. Yeah, uh, no, not <laughs> unfortunately. I played football. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to do a bunch of stuff. I actually used to be, uh, I used to do gymnastics when I was younger. Interesting. Um, yeah, I used to uh, train for the England team. Um, but I basically had to stop that because I, I broke my arm twice when I was 14. Oh, wow. um, so, yeah, that basically ended that very short stint of a career. Otherwise, I was probably going to go to the Olympics. But, yeah, I mean, I was, I was pretty bored. I was pretty... Uh, unwell behaved uh, but I always had like an interest I was always like really good at school I was always doing very well like I loved math at the time but in terms of like having like that own interest I didn't really have like a, an intellectual interest just yet like when I was 17 18 when I started becoming like more conscious that I got like really interested into like physics and mathematics I actually wanted to study physics uh, originally at university um, I was going to do a Durham University. It's like a, one of the best ones in the UK, but I didn't end up doing physics, unfortunately. That it's okay. It's fortunately for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Okay, cool. So you said that you're into psychology. Um, this is a question that I've always wanted to ask, but I, I haven't tested this one out, so I'm going to experiment with you. What are if you were to psychoanalyze yourself? What are some Freudian moments that you feel like impacted you as a person the most today mm, that's a very interesting question um yeah, yeah I, I definitely feel like there are formative moments in an individual's life that has a very large impact on their psyche i mean for me i'll be completely honest i don't really speak about uh some of that stuff in general uh but there, there is certain large events that do have an impact on every person's life uh and they guide them down a, a certain route i mean I very much like to leverage whatever happened in your past life and try and make it into like a very positive thing in the future. I think a lot of that kind of like drove me to, I didn't really have a desire to succeed for a very long time. I mean, there wasn't really any drive from uh, like my childhood or where I got brought up. Uh, it was very much like akin to like a mining town, right? But yeah, I was definitely uh, driven after a certain point to succeed in a very massive way. Uh, and I think I did that, but also still trying to do that. Uh, even further right now as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> vague um but... an intense answer but I, I i like to be truthful i don't like to uh lie so yeah and so you know where where does that drive come from and what does success really mean for you yeah that's, a, that's another interesting question as well um i mean a lot of people tie success to money but i just view money as a tool to do what you actually want to do and a lot of people that's kind of like freedom, right? They'll, they'll retire and enjoy their life and stuff like that. Uh, but for me, I think money is a tool to do something uh, much bigger than money. I mean, I, I can sure a lot of people tell from my Twitter, but I generally do care about like the, the direction 
the space is heading in. Um, and I think there's a, a capital misallocation problem in crypto. I think too many people are obsessed with uh, satisfying LPs and what is what produces the highest returns, but that's fine, right? But when you actually have money and you've quote unquote made it, like what are you going to use that money for? Like a lot of people buy Lambos, but what I really want to do is I want to help align capital that helps fund sovereign technology. That's kind of like my long-term vision of the space. Like every step that I've done is kind of to get to that type of uh, end goal. So yeah, I basically want to start something in which I would, uh, instead of aligning capitals to LPs, maybe there will be LPs, maybe there won't be, uh, but something called like the, the sovereign fund. And we basically focus on technology that we think is going to protect the sovereignty of the individual, whether that be through privacy technology, whether that be through um, like the scalability, whatever we deem is kind of like a protects human sovereignty. And one of the things that always does is is blockchains, right? I think this is kind of like the very first technology where we've seen that this is a very individually focused technology, um, something that really empowers the individual in terms of permissionless value transfer, in terms of uh, everything being completely uncensorable. I view that very much aligned to the, the values of the individual. So yeah, basically creating a goal that kind of furthers the actual core ethos of crypto. Yeah. And so we've briefly touched upon this before, but do you think it's possible for crypto to remain true, like 100% true purely to its ethos if we do have these KYC and AML measures in place? No, absolutely not. I don't think that is what the space is about because that's kind of like a, that's like a friction to the permissionless nature of crypto as well. It's like I have to ask permission from provider in a, that I can actually transfer money, right? That's literally akin to a bank. That is not what crypto is about, but I'm not stupid as well. So I do think there should be a spectrum. I think there should be a spectrum of wallets, for example, where a user owns their private key, which is a very sovereign way to store your wealth. Or they may want to use something like a centralized exchange, which is kind of like an intermediate, right? Uh, or they may want to use a multi-sig, or they may want to use social recovery, or they may have a completely centralized custodian as well. So I, I do think having an, a, a spectrum of products for anyone who wants to participate in the ecosystem is very important because the reality is like it's a lot of responsibility for the individual to do so, but that option should always remain, right? And I definitely think when it comes to DeFi, there will be this KYC, AML compliant regulatory body that allows these funds to basically use like a, a basically centrally controlled version of DeFi, right? It's not full DeFi, but I mean, that's the regulatory hoops that these institutions have to go through. But I'm not speaking about institutions, I'm speaking about regular people. For example, someone in South Africa wanting to set up a wallet. Um, actually, this is a great story. So I actually helped someone uh, from South Africa in the UK. And this guy, he was sending money internationally to his family. He was taking like 25%, 30% in, in international transfer fees. So I introduced him to Ethereum, uh, taught him how to buy ETH on Coinbase, and then he basically just sent ETH to his family, uh, helped them set up with that wallet. And he said, uh, what were the fees? I was like, that was it. He paid like $2 or something. Um, so I definitely think that is a, a very amazing innovation where we can transfer much money permissionlessly across borders for, with very little friction. I do not want to deviate from that. But I, I certainly think people will try and enforce this type of thing in the future. That's something I'm very aware of. But yeah, that's, uh, that's what I think. Yeah, and are you going to fight back against it? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Are you going to have to tell us about some of your theories about how you're going to do it? Or is it kind of just out there right now? We're not sure. Well, that's what I mean, right? It's kind of, um, that's why I wanted to set up uh, or like help align capital that kind of 
protects these uh, like the, the right of the individual when it comes to crypto and also help fostering uh, technological innovation in regards to that area and making sure that the actual core ethos itself doesn't really lose sight. I know that happens in every cycle when people make money and that's absolutely fine, but there's always this underlying innovation that drives markets and that's what I think it is. So for me, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a developer as well. I, I don't think there'll, anything in terms of like the, the core protocol there is going to happen in terms of censorship. I know we've already seen stuff like that uh, like that now with Ethereum, with OFAC and um, a lot of the Ethereum blocks being OFAC compliant. But there's a very bunch of smart people that are working on solutions for this. And I don't think it'll be a problem forever. So yeah, for me, what I really want to do is I want to help align capital, especially in, in, in venture capital towards maybe not from these pump and dump schemes, but something to a very, something a lot more legitimate, whether it's public goods funding or like building like new incentives for people to, to do this. Um, if it's not venture capital for individuals to do it, that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. I definitely think uh, if I can align capital in a much more positive way, that'll be much, I'll leave a much more positive impact on the crypto ecosystem rather than just building a project myself. That makes sense. I'm excited to see what types of solutions are there because, yeah, definitely this is one of the inherent problems that I think we have to figure out. And so I think out of everyone in season one, you're the person I've met who has the most Twitter followers. I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit more about your journey into crypto or at least CT and kind of what your claim to fame was. Yeah, very true. Um... I think for me, like, I actually don't really care about followers in general, but I, I do very much acknowledge like the importance of like an audience. Um, so I'm, I mean, if I'm probably going to give advice to people who are trying to um, like move up in CT or trying to gain like an audience in general, I mean, it's just contributing value, right? Like when I didn't really have any followers, what I was doing is I was basically just trying to like network with people on Telegram, within trading groups. Um, and I mean, in general, if you're right about a trade, like people are going to take notice in general. And when you're right about a lot of trades, then you start to actually build an audience as well. I think CT is very focused on the trading aspect. Um, so that's how I, I basically got started. I didn't really pause too much in regards to like, my own personal philosophical views or in regards to development as well. I think I posted a little bit on development, but not as much as I do now. I was basically just uh, posting technical analysis, fundamentals in regards to new assets that were launching, and just uh, basically trying to outline how I viewed the market in the next three to six months. And I think so if you do that well, then you can definitely build like a good audience there. Wow. So like your entire growth is actually just super steady and just organic. Yeah, 100%. No, I haven't bought followers or anything like that. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've done, done, done a few shit posts here and there, but. Yeah, I, I just think that the best thing to do is to contribute value and value comes to you. And that's either through a good network or a big audience as well. All right, cool. And what was your craziest trade that you've ever made? Or like, what was like a memorable thing? Like, you know, what was your nightcap of crypto where overnight it went to zero and then, you know, the next day you're okay? Yeah, I mean, I made a really good trade with Herp uh, last cycle because I, I was trading a lot of the DeFi summer in 2020, right? I was very early to DeFi. I got into DeFi in 2019 when the, the TVL was like 300 mil. I basically traded $2,000 up to around about $100,000 during that time. But yeah, I mean, um, I was very bullish on perpetual protocol because I, I recognized like the, the derivatives market in crypto would eventually eclipse the spot market. 
and I basically positioned myself in pub quite heavily, very high convicted. I, I did make a lot of money from that and I sold some, but not as much as I should have. So I basically made like a 26X over the period of, let's say, three to six months. Um, I sold around about 60% of the bag, um, but like the remaining 40%, I've uh, ridden all the way down. I just kind of have it on the wallet that I don't really watch. But a lot of my trades in general have been like very slow and steady. Uh, I do, like the way I trade in general is I have, I have these long-term exposure trades that are very fundamentally based and I execute on the technical. So for example, I got very largely positioned into fracks. Um, I ended up making a, a, very, a very decent amount of money off fracks last cycle as well. I bought at 17 and I was selling around uh, 45, 50. So yeah, that was another a great trade of mine. I'm also very exposed to a Synapse protocol right now simply because I have a, a layer two thesis. I also have an interoperability thesis, which fits directly into the layer two thesis as well. If layer twos are going to become like a really prominent scalability solution, then you need to have like a messaging system between the layer twos and so that they may communicate and also like a bridging mechanism that bypasses the seven day finality period. Um, so those two theses of mine are very much uh, interlinked. So I'm very exposed to Synapse right now. And I mean, 2021 of November was very crazy because that was like the the top of the bull market, right? We were all here in Dubai. We were all partying. I had like a, a few trades on and the, the PNL was very large. So um, yeah, it caught me off guard when I started to see the prices going down while whilst I was consuming tequila. So <laughs> it's very, it very akin to a top of the market, put, put it that way. Very interesting. And I love that bit of insight into your framework as well. So when you're looking across the internet or in general, how do you form your investment theses and what research tools do you mostly rely on? Yeah, so I, I think what I do is I craft theses based on the fundamentals and execute on the technicals. So when I'm looking at the fundamentals side, that is where the developer background comes in, right? It's kind of, especially with my layer two thesis originally, like uh, I've known for a very long time that layer twos are going to be the dominant solution of Ethereum scalability. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying to work out right now where the liquidity and users go, right? So if we look at last cycle, there was a layer one trade. And this layer one trade was driven primarily by Ethereum's gas fees. Um, and this is why Solana, Nia, AVAX, all of these coins had tremendous rallies is because of Ethereum's inability to scale. But right now, like rollups have exited their guarded launch period. Their cold data compression is improving. And that's just basically associated with the cost of layer two transactions. And then you have this really big catalyst in the future, which is EIP 4844, um, which reduces the gas fees on layer two by an order of magnitude. So for me, based on that fact where users seek low transaction fees and liquidity seeks users, and let's say these layer ones have already been through a cycle, so it's very difficult to pump for a second time. Like where's that liquidity and user base going to go? So for me, I think the, the cheapest transaction environment is probably on optimism and arbitrum right now. In the future, it will be zero-knowledge rollups because zero-knowledge rollups are much more superior to optimistic rollups. But yeah, that's kind of like where I see liquidity and users going. So I have a, a really big bet on both optimism and arbitrum. And because of that, I also have a big bet on Synapse as well, which kind of facilitates the cross-chain communication between the, the two networks and also the flow of liquidity between the two networks as well. So I, I leverage my developer background to form theses, how I think the space is going to progress over the next, let's say, two years. And, and some of it's like short term as well, right? I mean, I missed a lot on the NFT side, but I'm also very bullish on NFT infrastructure right now. I definitely view NFTs being the, the primary gateway to onboard retail, being most retail friendly. 
But since I'm a, a terrible speculator on the actual collections themselves, I've only lost money. I mean, they're actually a funny thing. So uh, the only trade I've ever made profitable on NFTs is the, the Crypto Dig Book collection. And it's because <laughs> I probably traded someone else. And I actually bought an invisible Ether rock last cycle for four ETH. And it was basically just a NFT with a white background. They went to zero. So those are my NFT trades, right? But since I'm such a terrible speculator on NFTs in general, um, I'm very bullish on NFT infrastructure because I recognize it's the primary gateway for retail. So a lot of it's like longer term based and the short term based. Uh, but once I form a thesis, a thesis and I have really high conviction about whether the market's going to head uh, in whatever time frame, then I'll, uh, I'll execute that trade using uh, technical analysis and a really oversold price action, which I think we got with FTX as well. So FTX actually did provide an excellent opportunity for ex executing on some of my theses. Yeah, I really like the framework that you use there. And so when you're trolling the sources that you do use for information about upcoming projects or just technical concepts in general, where do you go? What forms do you use? Especially because I know you haven't started the BCRM yet, but that would be, I guess, a primary source as well. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think for me, I very much like to consult the Twitter hive mind first. I mean, I'll certainly type in the asset and see if anyone's wrote a thread about it. So I view threads being like a, a form of information compression, right? Instead of you like going through all the entire documentation and stuff like this, um, I'd normally just consult Twitter first. Uh, and then after that, I normally go really deep into it. So I'll go on like the, the actual documentation. I'll use GitHub. I'll review the source code. I, I like uh, institutional analysis such as Delphi Digital as well. I think what those guys publish is excellent. Um, and I also do like a, a lot of on-chain dig digging via Nansen as well. See who the holders are. Um, see if anyone's bought recently, if anyone has like the same thesis as me. And yeah, just basically use on-chain analysis and then basically just anything the, the team writes in regards to the, the fundamentals. I also jump on a call with the team as well if I get really interested and then just uh, probe them that way as well. Because it's not just about the technology with this trading. This is a lesson that I learned the hard way. So it's a lot about BD as well. It says the willingness of the team to be like very motivated and very driven, very flexible. And when it comes to product development, and making sure that they can execute their vision on a long enough time frame. So it's not just about the technological side. The technological side is very, very important as well. Um, and that's where the market leaders often come from. But some of the times that's they don't. Some of the team, some, sometimes the team wins simply because they have a superior business development. So that's like been a change in my mindset from last cycle to the upcoming cycle. Uh, I very much recognize the, the importance of an excellent BD team. Especially when it comes to layer, uh, layer 1s or layer 2s, a friend of mine, he, had a, he said something really excellent. He said, you should view layer 1s and layer 2s like a, like a venture arm, right? Like whoever can basically attract the most people to build on their application layer, which is kind of basically participating in a seed deal if you're, you're a venture fund, right? You should, very look, uh, you should look at these layer 1s if you're looking at like, would I give capital to this um, venture capitalist to execute on, on behalf of myself? So yeah, there's been a lot of changes in my uh, frameworks over the last uh, few years. Very interesting. Love the tracks that we've taken, but I want to learn more about you. So let's start with how would you describe yourself um, in terms of an overlap? What percentage overlap do you see between your professional persona and your private persona? Um, I think, actually, this is quite funny. I think a lot of people think I'm very serious. I had this comment in Paris. Yeah, you see, like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, people keep saying I'm very serious. Uh, but in reality, like uh, in real life, 
Like I just like to have a bunch of tequila and have a very good time and I'm quite chill. But I think I'm also like very passionate, right? I actually do care about stuff. So I can come off in a, in a serious manner. But I can absolutely guarantee that the, the majority of people that have met me in real life know that I'm not very serious. I'm like quite chill. I like to have good fun as well. So I think that's probably like a, a big misconception of people. Who think I can understand that as well, right? I mean, I do post some weird things. And I do generally think them as well. I'm not just kind of like doing it for sure. And if it was for sure, right, I've been doing it for years. So it's a very good act. But <laughs> Um, in general, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more chill in real life. Uh, I like to have good fun as well. So I think that's yeah, probably think, a misconception about me. I think it's your demeanor. Okay, can we talk about the tweet this morning that you posted? What was that video from the Grammys? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you tell me, right? What was that video? What, like, what, did, was it your inner desire? Like, is that what you like? Is that what you want? <laughs> um, no, that's not what I want, unfortunately. No, I think there's a... Uh, I mean, this is a weird topic to get into, but I mean, if you want to get into it, I, I do think. Um, Wait, yeah. let's just describe for everyone what the post was. So, I was, okay, do you mind? I don't want you to get shy. I'm not shy, don't worry. Okay, so my kind of this morning um, posted or liked like this this uh, Grammy video where he recorded. Um, a, I, I, oh my God, who was it? Who is he the rapper? Was it's it? Um, Tom Smith. Sam Smith. Oh, it was Adam Smith. Okay, he. Oh, oh my God. Sam Smith, the singer. Okay. Um. So he was singing, and he had like this uh stage set where it looks like you're in hell, but hell is basically really, really hot women surrounding him, and then they just all leap in, and there's like a cage involved, like, this and they is, just kind yeah. of swallow him. <laughs> this is a very um difficult conversation to have. Um, <laughs> It's a little bit weird, right? I mean, if you want to get into the conspiracy stuff, I mean, people think that these events, people are basically giving symbolism to like these certain things that they're doing. But I I don't really view that as good for an audience. Like his video in general recently, I didn't really think it was appropriate for children. And YouTube basically didn't have any age requirement for the video. Um, yeah, this is a, a little bit of a strange conversation. Too. I don't really want to say this on the uh, the podcast, unfortunately. Yeah. Wait, no, this is, I mean, so this is interesting because um, at least like it was a misconception for me because I thought it was just like something super basic, but clearly no. it was more I you thinking was. more about like so many political things. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's political in nature. I mean, I wouldn't have mind um, with uh, with uh, all the nice girls, of course, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's something completely different. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, well, like, now I just realized how basic I am. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. It's fine, it's fine. Don't worry, don't worry. Uh, no, right. I mean, like, a, there's a bunch of old conspiracy stuff, right? You've seen, like, this with COVID, like, how powerful people run the world, and they basically do these events that portray their own symbolism, and they control Hollywood. That's, that's kind of, like, what it's about. And I don't think all of it's true. I just think there's a lot of degeneracy in modern society that shouldn't really be paraded around especially when it comes to children and stuff i know children are gonna watch that and i'm just like it's not really a good thing and i i know people do it to be edgy as well and being edgy is fine but i mean you have the stuff like the balenciaga stuff right people attributed that to being edgy i didn't really think it was that edgy myself so it's, it's kind of what i think about like the modern world in general i think especially on like in the west i've had these views for a very long time by the way like I think a lot of people are kind of like losing traditional values in general. I was brought up in a very traditional household myself. So it's pretty weird to see all of this stuff like get progressively worse over time. 
and then post it on social media and i'm just it's a little bit tiring uh from my end but um yeah okay no this is really interesting okay well yeah <laughs> but i love what you thought uh it was the other way around uh i tell you what we'll keep it to uh we'll keep it to that reason i think <laughs> yeah that is so it's interesting a, it's no conscious freudian fant- fantasy <laughs> no okay <laughs> I know. I'm, well, now I'm like, this is a life lesson that you've taught me, and I have to rethink myself. God, it's like, Ella, you're so fucking basic. Okay. It's nice. It's actually refreshing. It's refreshing. <laughs> um, okay, so if you had to describe yourself in three words, what would it be? Um, driven, ethical, and third one. Zen. <laughs> oh, I love that Zen. Okay, do you practice meditation? I, I'd like to be Zen, but I don't think I'm Zen just yet. Soon, who knows? <laughs> What's the last remaining bit that's not so Zen? Exactly, it's the, it's the one thing I need to focus on. To be honest, I, I mean, a lot of my life right now is revolved around work. Like I am very driven, um, especially to do like uh, some pretty big stuff over the next few years. So I, I think work takes a lot of my time right now. Um, but I'd like to get to a point where I eventually chill out a little bit in the future because right now I'm not really chill. So <laughs> it'd, it'd be nice to uh, it'd be nice to relax for a uh, for a while, to be honest. Interesting. And you said that you're like a very traditional person. So what does that really mean for you in terms of your life and lifestyle? Yeah, I think um, traditional is just kind of like moral values when it comes to respect, respecting other people. I find a lot of people are quite trigger happy and stuff like that but yeah just kind of like traditional family values in general that's probably how i'd more describe it um like uh very much aligned to like the nuclear family right um making sure you secure the future via your children i think children are the most important thing in the world and the reason to why uh, to have money is to have like a, a great life with your children so yeah that's probably what i'd, I'd say about traditional values very children oriented very family focused I think that is incredibly important. And I mean, if you look at some of the statistics, right, especially in the US, I think by 2030, the like over 50% of women over the age of 30 will be uh, unmarried. Um, I think that's uh, rising ever so slowly. And I'm just kind of like, I don't think that's going to be very good for society long term. Also, like each to their own, right? Everyone matures at a different rate. It's completely uh, different for every individual. But I think the trend in general is the thing that's more concerning to me. Where does it, where does this end, right? Where does it end in twenty fifty? You can always think about like the ideas of like being trapped inside of the metaverse, with, like a virtual girl or something like that. That's not really for me, to be honest. So that's probably why I'd say I'm I, I like traditional uh, family values. I feel like um, you're probably speaking to the hearts of so many, including myself, out there. And I think it's just <laughs> it's just so hard. And we can get into like why it's hard, but I that agree. probably takes I, I hours. Think, yeah, I'd like to get into it to be honest. I mean. I view it as like it's natural, right? And I think the whole point of like modern society is it's kind of, I mean, you can you can say it like um suppresses the instincts or something Nietzschean like that. But in general, um yeah, I think uh I think it's kind of like deviating from our natural way of being. I I don't really like that, and I think a lot of people feel that as well innately, especially men in general. I think uh, a lot of men are kind of disenfranchised with the modern world. Uh, I mean, if you look where I come from, right, the, the majority of my friends from home, they're either electricians or plumbers, and they don't really feel like they have any aim in life. So I think modernity is like quite disorienting for the majority of people. I think I think that's a valid thing to, to feel as well. I mean, with 
technology changing so fast, it's very hard for people to adapt in general. So people do get caught in these these traps. And I, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a part of the modern world. I think that's like the problem that both like men and women need to address. Um, and I think we will address them. Um, like people are very conscious of it and they feel it as well. And that's like the most important thing about this. So, and I think that the next step is just kind of like the the open dialogue that comes around that and how we would maybe not modify society, but how we all live ourselves. So that's that's kind of like what I do. Um, wait, so two like random references in pop culture. So one in Shameless, the I want to say I know, the... yeah, I know Shameless, yeah, the British. Oh, series. right, I think it was the British one. Um, but it was so cute. No, it was the American one. It was the American one where I can't remember what's his name, but like the guy, the boyfriend. Um, he calls children the people of tomorrow, and I thought that was so cute. It's just so touching. And the second reference, I can't remember because actually, I'm not gonna lie. I drink a lot of coffee before this meeting, and I really. <laughs> need to get to the bathroom <laughs> so, I, I do the same like i'm literally on like three cups of coffee um do you but, not need to get to the bathroom i mean i i went to the bathroom before <laughs> okay well uh, yeah in general i mean yeah I, I drink a lot of coffee like coffee and techno like my both like that's my zen moment right there i get like hyper focused and then yeah yeah, I listened to your um I listened to the the two songs that you posted this morning. One of them I I downloaded. Uh wait, okay, before we get into this cuz you want to get into this, we're going to get into this. I'm going to tell you the female side of the story. And but I'm going to go to the bathroom so I can be prepped. Yeah, 100%, no problem. No problem. Okay. <laughs> dive in like also I feel um I feel like people are gonna probably think I'm this like crazy single cat lady um <laughs> FYI I don't have any cats although I do find them very very cute There's nothing wrong. Um, I, have a cat. I have a cat at home <gasps> nothing oh, wrong with cats Absolutely. tell us about the cat god what do I say um <laughs> she's, she's a Bengal she's quite old I mean I got her when I was like 14 but she's a she's a very loving cat cats are very underrated by the way a lot of people I have a dog as well um, but yeah, cats, uh, a lot of people hate cats for no reason, but they're actually uh, very loving. Very nice. Okay, what color? It's Bengal, right? So she's a, like a tiger. Oh, Bengal. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought you were like bang old. <laughs> I was like, okay, she's really old. <laughs> no, she's, uh, she's left in print. She's left in print. Yeah, I was like, I'm like, I understand your accent. Um, so, okay. So I think from the female perspective, because I have so many um, girlfriends and they're all like, over 30 absolutely gorgeous like they're the type of girls like you know you walk into their room and you're like wow like who is that person and all of them are really like uh successful as well so like one of them is a vp at goldman sachs another like i think previously did private equity and they're just like really interesting people another one's a co-founder 
And so I think that, I think from like perspectives, like, you know, I think sometimes that when we go to sleep, we like to tell ourselves we just have really high standards. But really, um, I think it's just hard because of two major trends. One historical, which has been, we're really the first, first generation to marry purely for love, like love marriages. And I think that's been really hard because I think so many psychologists have talked about it, but we have this un- unprecedented expectation that we have on our partners to be this like end all be all for us and I think that just like isn't really realistic and I don't think I think you can choose to have a different type of partnership for different reasons and I think that works so that's kind of like one trend and then I think the second trend is really like this this I think what you're saying this breakdown of the nuclear family like the concept that we can have all these different types of relationships um, as in like non-nuclear And at the same time, because like women now are able to be independent financially and like be independent in many different ways, that's brought about like a mindset where unless you're going to have this person, you know, going back to the first round, be this, be all for you, then it's not really worth it. Or like, it's not absolutely necessary to have like um, a partner unless you do, like, unless you are really focused on having children. And so, but I think that in order, in the order of things, they're thinking, let me find the person first and then I'll have the children. But the longer it takes to find a person who's on the same page as you and who can be all these other things for you, the more unrealistic, sadly, um, having your own biological children becomes. And so I think that that's kind of been the two major things contributing to today's, today's uh, low marriage rates. I don't know, like, what do you think? Is that true? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I actually do appreciate the uh, the openness as well. Yeah, I think you're right. And I don't really think about the first point as well, where it's kind of like the, the unlimited freedom have that people to choose. I think that's uh, something I never really thought about. And that's quite interesting. But yeah, I, I it's tricky, right? I think, like, obviously, I'm very like pro the individuals. So the, the more uh, women empowerment, uh, the better, for example, if they want to pursue their own careers, I think that's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, I remember having a, a, a conversation with this girl before, like we were on a date and um, she's basically saying that her career is more important than her children. And I just said to her, like, even if I make a billion dollars, like my, my children will always, always be like the, the first uh, primary of importance. Um, so yeah, I think people get like, yeah, it's people, right? It's men and women. They both get caught into like this, this trap or rat, rat race or whatever you want to call it. And they just get too focused on the, themselves individually. But I also think it's a, it's a great thing to do uh, societally as well. Um, like you need to uh, like look beyond yourself and obviously sacrifice yourself to some degree for your future uh, children. And um, yeah, I think that's all. That's always been a part of the game, right? But I think maybe people have become a little bit too self- selfish. Um, yeah, they don't really want I... to sacrifice. They want to focus on themselves. They want to do this. They want to go traveling. They want to do that. And I mean, that's fine, right? Everyone has their own individual choice, and I respect that. And but these are just like my opinions and how I value and my own life. Right. So they're not, they're, not, they're not right. I'm not trying to enforce my views on anyone. It's just kind of, that's how I think about like uh, myself. Yeah. So for all the ladies out there, McKenna, are you single? I am single. I am single. But unless you can deal with like 78 hour work weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Have it's okay. I think, I think many New York women are used to dealing with insane work weeks with her. Yeah, it's, it's true, to be honest. I need to come to New York. I need to check it out, see what's going on. Also for the ladies, I'm gonna put this out there. My kind is also over six feet, so he's literally ideal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually six foot. I can't say I'm six foot one, unfortunately. I don't like to lie, but I am six foot. 
um, let's move on. Tell me about your um, day. Like, how do you spend your days? What's your, what's your daily routine? Uh, daily routine. Um, oh God, I mean, it's just work and gym right now, to be honest. And then I like to chill out. If I'm, if I'm doing something on the night, it's normally with my crypto friends here in Dubai. Uh, we'll, get, we'll go to like a nice restaurant or maybe on the weekends we'll go to a bar. Um, but yeah, I mean, mostly right now, it's just work. I'm trying to ship like a separate business as well. So I basically do a lot of the, uh, the fund related stuff during the day and trying to code during the night. But yeah, basically, uh, I'm building like a, a site that aggregates all of the uh, derivatives data for every single derivative dex uh, on like every layer one and every layer two. And I plan to launch that very soon. I think that'll be a fairly profitable business. I'm trying to do that on the side. Um, and then obviously, I mean, the funding stuff like takes a lot of time as well. So yeah, very just focused on trading um, and also focused on finding excellent primary market investments as well. Uh, oh, and then other than that, I'm just kind of lifting weights. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's quite, it's not, I wouldn't say it's boring right now, but I mean, I'm just like focused on one thing. So I, I assume people could say that's boring, uh, but that won't be forever. Um, obviously, I, I think you need to put the correct amount of time in when it matters and then obviously you basically prepare yourself in the future so the way i view it is kind of like the next two to three years for me is like securing the next 20 years in the future so i don't really mind all right so i feel like you're too eligible bachelor and i feel like i have to ask that question why are you single like what's your most toxic trait what's the problem <laughs> uh, toxic trait. um <laughs> uh, i don't i don't really think it's it's toxic i mean i don't know I, I go on dates and stuff like that i go on a few dates but it's not really i mean i know it's not long term for now but i just yeah i just think that's uh i mean I, i'm gonna be honest right i think girls are a bit of a distraction for me right now which is fine but um yeah i'm just trying to focus on on one thing so in terms of like actually dating someone um like for a long period of time i mean it depends it depends uh right now no um but obviously always going for drinks and stuff like that hmm. okay so there's this term in new york called fucko and what it means is like there's this guy who's super eligible everything's perfect on paper but psychologically emotionally there's um something about him where he's unable even if you wanted to to like commit is, are you a fucko i didn't even realize that term existed until oh right. yeah maybe, it's real maybe maybe that's uh the term that i'll give myself what's your life trauma what happened nah, I can't tell you that, but... yeah I, I, I just know like, I, I think uh i think generally i am like really driven um i'm just really like single focused on securing the future as soon as possible uh simply because it relates to like my worldview in some way in which I think the world has the potential to get really bad. And I think money is very important to secure the future of like the family, especially my family as well, because I don't come from any money at all. Like my, my mother's a nurse on like 16,000 uh, pounds per year, which is like $20,000 and that's it really. So I'm very much focused on just, yeah, securing wealth so I can, do what I want, when I want, go wherever I want. I don't have to listen to like any rules, any bullshit by any government. But yeah, it's kind of like related to, I mean, I, I don't want to say the future is going to be bad, right? But I think in order for the future to be good, that there's going to be 
a certain degree of pain that's going to come in the short term with that, especially over the next 10 years. So that's kind of like why I'm so focused right now. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, wait, going back to the day in your life of, I just want to know, like, what time do you wake up? Like, what do you eat for lunch? I want to know the details because it's fun. Um, so I don't eat breakfast. I don't eat lunch. I just eat on the night. Um, I actually haven't ate right now and it's 8.15 p.m. So, yeah, I'm basically going to eat three meals in one. I kind of, I do intermittent your diet. Yeah, I do like intermittent fasting and stuff like that. I actually find intermittent fasting is absolutely excellent for work. One, because it fits in with my work schedule. And two, I think carbs are really terrible for the mind. Like I like, uh, I just like coffee, water, and then that's it for the entire work day. And no I, tea. I'm, I'm sorry? No tea. No tea. <laughs> <laughs> no, no tea. I don't drink any tea. I'm not Brit. Oh, well, I am British, but I'm not like a, a tea, tea drinking British, unfortunately. Um, I mean, I get up around about eight. I mean, I sleep quite a bit. Um, well, I'll go to bed at like one or two and I'll get up around about seven, eight. Um, I'm not really a morning person, so I definitely need my coffee first. Uh, my brain's quite slow in the morning, but once I like, I get into it, it's completely fine. But yeah, I'm definitely not a morning person. I'm more of like a night, night owl, I think. Okay, cool. Um, what do you usually eat? Like just keto? Paleo? Steak, eggs. Um, I, to be honest, like the, most of the stuff I've ordered recently is off Deliveroo. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm traveling <laughs> for the next few days. I ran out of like chicken and steaks. So I'm just like, <laughs> okay, I'll just order some healthy food online. Um, Love it. Bro moves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, uh, just mainly meat. Um, I, I love steak though. Steak's my favorite food. <laughs> okay. So I have one more last hard question for you. I like to ask this just because I think, especially since the last three years, I've done a few things for myself personally that have been like, quote unquote, life changing. So mm -hmm. I'm really always curious to hear about other people's decision making frameworks. And so like, what has been your hardest decision that you've ever had to make? And how did you go about it? Hmm. It's a really good question. I actually don't know the answer. Um, I think a really difficult decision for me was like choosing like what path that I would go down in terms of either like AI or crypto. That was quite difficult. I loved both at the time and I didn't really know what to choose. But then I was kind of like, how does it align with my personal philosophy? And I thought crypto very much aligns with my personal philosophy a lot more than AI. Uh, but other than that, I'm like a really spontaneous individual. Like when I moved to Dubai, I just decided three days prior and then moved. Wow. Uh, I just, I, yeah, I don't, this is one of my bad traits, actually. So you've seen the toxic traits. I actually have zero organization, uh, organizational ability. I'm just really spontaneous and just hope it works out. Especially where, like, when it comes to, like, traveling or uh, stuff like that. Like, even, I'm going to Korea, right? And I haven't even booked my fucking flight or, like, accommodation. Yeah, I'll just probably sort it out soon. But, yeah, I'm, um, I just, I don't know. I, I like to, uh, I like to be spontaneous, I think yeah okay interesting okay cool it makes life more interesting right you don't really want to have everything planned out i know girls do this all the time like girls are literally the best for traveling they have like the full itinerary they won't lose anything i'll come with like half my stuff right but i'll still have a good time um. <laughs> <laughs> do you know um so i i like i feel like in real life i'm really interested in people's myers-briggs and so apparently at some point it's, it came out that myers-briggs personality um quadrants aren't really real but I still feel like it's quite um, it's quite accurate. And yeah. so, um, right, like out of the four uh, different acronym, or like is it acronym? Not really. It, out of the four different um, abbreviation letters for it, the last one is supposed to be um, 
judging or perceiving. So judging means that like you're a planner, like right? And perceiving is like you're really spontaneous. And I don't know, like maybe do most women fall within um like judging? I mean, I don't know because my mom actually is so chaotic. Like she is so spontaneous that she will literally make a decision and then um, make decision within the span of like 10 seconds, which I I think this is really interesting, right? Um, so the, the reason why I'm interested in psychology, well, by the way, I'm like a, I'm INTP. That's what my psychological thing is. Uh, it was normally asked like, what's your, what's your star sign? But I have like four planets in Aries, like Aries <laughs> cranked up to like the maximum. So that's my star sign. Yeah, I actually got my my star sign read by a witch once, which was very interesting at school. Whoa, wait, what, what happened? <laughs> uh, that's a remain private. She told me. Oh, okay. uh, what, what was I saying? No, but I think um, like psychology underpins so much. So, for example, psychology actually underpins um, like left and right political thinking. So people on the the left will lean more to like openness, for example, and people on the right will lean more to conservatism. And people on the right, they tend to be more organized and uh, diligent, whether the people on the left they t- tend to be the, the exact opposite. This is like a, a really well-studied field, like how uh, psycho- there's a huge uh, correlation between someone's like psy- psychological profile and their political leanings. I think the same thing can be said for, for men and women in general as well, right? I view most men like being completely fucking unorganized and most women like being fairly organized. Like, I think that's just like a, a common trait that everyone knows. Like when I say university, right? If I was like studying for an exam, like I cram revise for two weeks. And when I go there, like um I'd see like the girls marching at six AM with like fully prepared and I come in like <laughs> fucking ten o'clock hungover. Like not not even got like my pen and paper and stuff. So it's it's completely it, it's interesting. It's interesting to read about. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely I definitely think there's uh definitely correlations, right? You always get people on the outliers who don't agree. Um, within like any spectrum in general but I think there, are, there certainly are some like, key differences in psychology between uh, men and women. Yeah I absolutely agree that there are key differences and it's been you can see them categorically or cate- not categorically but categorized into these two different um, like groups but I think one thing that I struggle with is I think it's really hard for us within each generation so a short short amount of a short amount of time like in time span so let's say like 20 to 30 um, years for each generation to see if it's because of upbringing and like psychological na- nurturing or actually just like nur- nature that we were um, born with these traits based on like our genomes. I, I think that's something I'm not really sure of. I think when it comes to um, being STEM focused, I absolutely do think it is more, more that we are brought up this way. And I think that there are so many things that we're more aware of now. For example, like when you have a baby girl versus a baby boy, or like, you know, I mean, I don't know how, how politically correct we're going to be, but like, let's say they're gender neutral as well, but you bring them outside. Um, like people will comment. I like, if they, I, I appreciate the, the general gender. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be PC right there, but like <laughs> you, you bring them outside and then people will be like, Oh my God, like your baby girl is so pretty. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. She's stunning. Whereas like, if it's a boy, they'll be like, Oh, he looks so handsome and strong. Like, you know, he's such a fighter, like things like that. And I think that there is definitely a level to which because we've molded certain genders that we created these gender norms. And I'm curious to see now that like we are starting to break them down a little bit, what each generation is going to look like. But also, I guess we're going to get to a point where like, you know, artificial intelligence is real, real. And then there'll just be true gender neutrality. Yeah, that's a very strange future. Are you excited for it? I'm excited and I'm also not nervous. I mean, 
would be wise to be nervous if you knew like what was going to come to be honest yeah i think it's very uncertain but it's also uh tremendously exciting in terms of like the the old institutional age dying and the age of information just starting i think there's going to be a, a big bend in power from the nation state back to the individual um so i'm extremely excited for that but i mean ai is just like one of those weird things that you throw in the mix right i don't even know what to think of it i think it's completely strange i think it's going to change so much about social interaction uh how we think of ourselves in terms of intelligence like what consciousness is maybe if we can say something about consciousness because yeah it's really defi- uh, redefining what it means to be human so i mean if you take a long enough time period right you look at history, you look at every species on the planet, and the commonality is like nothing lasts, everything evolves. And I think maybe let's give us 500 to 1,000 years, there's going to be like humanity ends, and then there's something else after humanity. I think that's probably where it's going to go, right? Because they talk about the AI alignment problem, where AIs have to be aligned to humanity, and in order for them to do that, the best solution right now is to fuse humanity and artificial intelligence together via something like a neural lace where there's like a third layer on top of the brain on top of the brain that is directly digital but yeah all of this is like i mean it's stuff out of sci-fi right it's completely dystopian for me i just want to chill out and drink tequila and i don't think i feel like afforded that opportunity right now so yeah i'm trying to enjoy every day as it comes but i know like the future is very uncertain it's most likely going to get very strange as well so yeah, actually, my pseudonym is actually based after. Do you know who Terence McKenna is? No, should I? Yeah, yeah that's what my pseudonym's based after. Um, but yeah, he said um, life is like a long, long and strange trip. I think that's exactly what it's going to be, especially in our lifetime as well. I think it's got. If if you speak to your parents, right, they always have like this conception of the future, like everything is stable, everything is very nice. But if you look at the entirety of human history, that is not. That's like a very niche uh, part of history. Oftentimes, it's chaotic. I think that eventually returns with our generation in general. Um, I don't think everything's going to be smooth sailing. And a lot of this stuff is like completely destabilizing. I think uh, AI is going to be one of those things as well. But we'll, we'll wait and see how that progresses. Uh, right now, I'm completely focused on crypto. But yeah, I definitely think AI is going to be very, very interesting in the future. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, going back to what we were saying about long-term trends, especially when it comes to families. And I, I think that computers have really created this really niche turning point in human history for us especially like right like think literally probably in the last generation that it really started changing because up until then if we read um even that book i can think capital forgot the french guy who wrote it but uh, when it came out it was talking about how um capitalism has capitalism has changed um our history but more importantly it was really the industrial revolution that you saw this like huge a huge rise in capitalism going back to what you were saying politically as well with like individualism becoming more of a thing both culturally and when it comes to money and it was like throughout human history most of our evolution growing has been relatively stable like gdp grew a little bit you know people were trading and doing stuff but nothing to the degree to which it is happening today and now we have like these really strange components in our lives that yeah definitely are sci-fi and it's it is a bit scary um it is a bit unsettling, but at the same time, hopefully something good for humanity. And what you said about consciousness as well, I think that's really interesting because that's the thing. Like um, when we have these intellectual beings floating around, I think that the the difference between perhaps being human and you know just being intelligent is really do we have the capacity to self reflect and to decide what is wrong or right and why something is rather than what it is. So yeah. 
agree with P on all those sentiments. I'm just yeah, putting I, it in two cents. I agree as well. I also think uh, computers has absolutely hacked like the, the human dopamine system, whether it be through attention seeking stuff like um, social media, for example. I mean, social media is literally designed to hijack your dopamine system. And I think this is a really big problem. I think, um, especially like when you're younger and stuff, you don't really get taught to like, limit your screen exposure, right? Or what this stuff could potentially do to your brain. If you look at the attention span of children right now on TikTok, like it's completely just getting decimated. Who's going to read a book in the next like 10 years? And there's so much great literature to read. And I even find myself, I find this happening to myself as well. It's like I, I struggle to watch a movie now. I, I can't watch a movie and just chill out. Um, it's got, I think there's something, especially like with YouTube and like other mediums and stuff like that, they completely hijacked like the, the human dopamine system. So I think it was Naval Ravikant who said uh, cheap dopamine is the, the devil of the modern day. And I very much agree <laughs> with that. So I think people are going to have to learn to uh, live with technology. And I think uh, our generation will go through some stuff where we'll be much willing to uh, teach our children about it and how to kind of like navigate like this, uh, this new world. Um, but our parents, like, they didn't grow up with the internet, right? It's kind of like our first generation right now that's who's experiencing it. But I think there's going to be a lot of lessons, a lot of positive stuff that comes out of that as well. But yeah, I think, uh, I think people need to be very conscious in regards to just kind of like what the computer is doing to the brain. I can't remember who it was. It was the, the philosopher. He said, um, with every technological innovation that humans abstract something to, for example, arithmetic and the calculator, it takes a small thing away, or it takes a small thing from uh, humanity. It strips like the individual. And eventually you'll get where your humanity is completely stripped and you abstract everything that you do out to a computer. So yeah, I think that's the, the trend that we're heading, but I'd like to see a reversion in that trend as well. I'd rather see much more augmented intelligence than outsourced intelligence. So many interesting things. I can't remember, there was like um, a VC slash founder guy. He was trying to say that we should um, regulate social media the way that we regulate drugs because it's that addictive also you definitely just showed how young you were because you just said our parents grew up with the internet bro that's like me i was the first generation to grow up kind of with internet i'm not too young i'm, I'm 26 i'm 26 uh, um no but i mean uh in general like yeah I, like when when my parents were growing up, they're like uh, fifty now. They didn't have the internet. I mean, when when I always asked them, right? I was like, "How do you contact about people to go on a night out?" It's like, "Oh, you walk to the phone box and ring them." <laughs> I'm like, "What?" The? I'm like, "Like you come in from a night out, right? And you you're on your phone. You're just like seeing what's going on." It's like, "What do you do? You just stare at the ceiling when you come back drunk? Like, what's the deal?" Um, but yeah, like so much has changed in such a short period of time. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I definitely like to see a reversion. Like back to traditional values, like social values. Like I'd rather go to a party and everyone's not on the phone, right? I'd rather just like uh yeah, go back to go back a few generations, I think. Yeah. Know, much more pleasant. There are so many things that I think old school is so much more romantic. Like every time I go to like a quaint European city, I look at the, you know, clock tower and be like, yo, you know, just fifty years ago, someone's probably like, I'll meet you under the clock at five PM and if you don't show up that's it like you have to go home because you don't know what happened yeah I also, I also think it's a big problem in, in modern culture right like we were talking about like how like both men and women can be selfish to some degree but I mean there's a quote right where it says a society becomes great when a grandfather plants a tree that he know you'll never see that's kind of like why people built cathedrals as well right these cathedrals have been built for like sometimes multiple hundreds of years and it's not for them. It's kind of like a, 
for the future, right? I think what, what are we building for our future right now? I don't think we're building that much, to be honest. Um, I think in the, in the modern world, architecture is completely dead. I don't think there's any beauty in architecture. Like one of the most beautiful ceilings I have seen is the uh, Sagrada de Familia in Barcelona. And that's been under renovation for what, like 400 years. And it's one of the most mm-hmm. beautiful things I've ever seen. Um, and I don't really see the willingness to like build something like that for future generations. Um, I think that's completely dead in modern culture. So hopefully there is a revival in that direction as well. But yeah, I, yeah. yeah I think sustainability. So are you a recycler, McKenna? I mean, I don't recycle right now, right? I live in like no. private buildings, so I think they do it for me. But yeah, I mean, I, I very much care about, I, it's one of those things where I don't really like to do stuff on an individual level. I'd much rather do something with like very large impact. So that's why I wanted to like basically do a lot of research into renewable energy. I still think renewable energy is absolutely inevitable. And I also think, especially from, I think you can hear my washing machine in the background, right? <laughs> they were time to time. Yeah, from time to, <laughs> from time, to time. Sorry, sorry about that. But yeah, basically, um, fuck what I was going to say. I completely forgot. Long-term sustainability. Yeah, yeah. So um, in, in terms of like from a nation state level, I think energy diversification is very, very important. You've seen this with Germany and Russia, like being very reliant on Russian gas. And I think these, as the world becomes more volatile, you need like redundancy in the system. So for example, like in chemical engineering, if you're designing a system, you design a system so that if one component fails, like another will reboot. It's got redundancy in the system. And it's kind of like where anti-fragility comes from, the, the concept. So the reason why... We have two lungs instead of one and we're not optimizing for our output because if one of them fails, we still survive. So redundancy is very, very important. Um, and I think that is very applicable to like the, the energy uh, diversification of a nation as well. So I, I definitely think renewables are going to take more market share from non-renewable sources in the future. Yeah, that reminds me. Have you watched Altered Carbon? Like, are you into sci-fi? I haven't, no. It's on Netflix, right? I think I've seen it advertised. It- Oh my God, it is so, so good. Okay, I won't ruin it for you. I was going to make a reference, but yeah, yeah. But um, the, speaking of which, another reference from the same thing, I think one of my favorite quotes from that kind of, you know, talking about sustainability is that, or ethics, ethics rather, and long-term thinking is um, it says, I want to be, we, wait, I want to be this, I want to be more than the sum of my intentions. I think that was the quote. And so I thought that was kind of cool because basically I think, um. A lot of us want to do things like same thing with me. I'm really not, I try to be, but I'm definitely nowhere near zero ways kind of person. But like, yeah, I think we can do more for our actions. And that's something I think about a lot, I guess. Um, okay. So we're what? <laughs> on that weird what, note. What was the thing that you were going to tell me? You said you got, you got something that you weren't going to tell me. Oh, it was about redundancy, but like, I don't want to ruin it for you. You should watch it. <laughs> no, no. You said like you're in the middle. There was like another thing that you don't want to mention. You might mention it offline. I would rather you uh, sit on the on the podcast right now. Oh wait, is this the other my other controversial take yeah, when it comes to finance? Controversial take. Tell everyone. I'm 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 sure everyone's curious to hear. This is so politically sensitive because it's personally sensitive. Hey, you, there are so many things you refuse to say on the podcast, so I'm reserving one for myself. <laughs> fair, fair. I'll afford you. I'll afford you one. Um, yeah, there have been many secrets, but we've mentioned them, so maybe we can do another one where we unmention them. True, true. Especially when you get into, I don't really want to say my entire views on the whole conspiracy stuff like that. I, I mean, there's a few people I talk to about this, right? And I think a lot of it is not kind of like unfounded, but I mean, 
I don't know. I think everyone has to investigate all on all on their own and come to their own judgments and stuff like that. Although yeah. I sound like a crackpot like David Icke. And stuff. <laughs> no. but, but one thing I do very much adhere to that I do not think that the incentive structure of modern society is set up for the like liberation of the individual. I think it's set up for the exact opposite. I think you can basically see this with the desire to create surveillance states. So for whatever reason you think that is, like the incentive still exists. We can ignore the, the whatever you think it is in general. But society very much does lean to surveillance and the individual doesn't really have any right to protect themselves. Especially if you look in the East with China, um, that's com- completely become like a totalitarian surveillance state. And there's a talk that's quite terrifying. It's by uh, Novel Harari, the guy who wrote Sapien, uh, Sapiens. He said, with um, digital technology, we'll see the, the worst dictatorships and the worst surveillance states we've ever seen in history. So for me, that's kind of like a motivation to push cryptography even further. So like the individual may have a shield against the surveillance state and hopefully in the process, remove the power that the uh, some of the state has. I mean, the states had the monopoly on money for so long. And now we've actually started to remove like that branch of the nation state where they actually don't have the monopoly on money anymore. We can create our own money, our own digital money. That's all verifiable, completely uncensorship and permission, uh, permissionless. So yeah, I, I definitely view that trend continuing in the future if we don't do anything. I think surveillance will get worse. People's freedoms will be further restricted. And that's kind of like a large, that's, that's it. that is my motivation behind crypto. And it's yeah. more money as well. Um, no, for sure. I get that. And I don't think it's really... Um... I don't think it's paranoid at all. I think that when we look into a lot of things that are happening around us. So I think for the average person, most of um, these really like big idea ethical questions probably won't touch them because like at the end of the day, you're mostly as an average person, not really trying to do anything that's highly controversial. But I think even when we look at smaller systems, any type of system, so like, let's just say you're working for a company, like that particular company, it's the same thing. If you're not trying to do anything that goes against the company or like speaking out, trying to change things that already exist, whether it be policy or even culture, then you're fine. But the minute that you really start questioning anything, the system immediately tries to break you down and they do it in a gaslighty way, right? They'll say that like you have these freedoms where you're allowed to voice your opinion and that there are forums and channels for you to do it in a safe manner. Think about whistleblowing. Like whistleblowing was not a thing until like what our generation. So like all of these things used to be taboo and it takes someone to stand up and say like, hey, that's actually not okay. Um, Otherwise, the system just keeps going and the system like in any type of system, it doesn't like it when you start speaking against them. So I think that's the same thing. That's what, what you're saying now happening right now. Like in America, we don't question it anymore because like, you know, the Patriot Act came about during a time when it was quite scary for everyone. Yep. So like, right, in times of fear, that's when dictatorships really ring. And then once the fear is gone, it becomes the like driver of fear itself. Um, so it definitely is always good to be wary of like what's happening. And as long as like you rebel in like a way that makes sense, and that is going to not hurt a lot of people, I think, then it's good. But obviously, revolutions do take place. And sometimes I feel like China slowly is getting to a point where people might be unhappy enough to like start you know a hundred years later down the line for I, so. I hope so um yeah I, I definitely know a few chinese people who uh spoke out with a lot of the, the stuff that happens in china right now um yeah it's really sad uh what's going on yeah but I mean, I mean, yeah what? Go on, what are you saying 
I was just going to, like, add one more thing. I think China is really interesting case because I do think that, like, there are certain, like, so when we talk about Russia as well, I think historically there's just been, like, this culture where people um, are happy almost under, like, benevolent dictatorships. But definitely it's very easy when you have someone who's not doing the best for the country and at the point where you really start censoring people, then it becomes problematic. I think like about 10 years ago when I used to visit China, you know, you can still say things like it wasn't, you know, encouraged, but you can still say things about the government and how it wasn't really doing well. And there are certain things you don't like about it because like people complain, right? Like even if it's a good economy, people complain. But it has definitely at this point gotten to the point where people are afraid to even say like his name on social media because it's been monitored so closely and people are honestly disappearing. And I think that's when it becomes like unacceptable. I agree. I agree. I actually wrote an article called Verifiable Democracy, and it basically outlines this democratic system that's based on uh, public-private uh, public key cryptography and also zero-knowledge cryptography as well, where I can verify my identity to a public-private key pair, but also retain my anonymity uh, with zero-knowledge proofs, and I can also verify the outcome of an election completely with uh, zero-knowledge proofs as well. So my vote is first shielded, and everyone else votes shielded as well. But we know based on like zero-knowledge proofs, if they're computed correctly, we know the outcome is absolutely correct as well. So there's these future systems of democracy that will be implemented. And this is the true litmus test for governments. And so it's like uh, the being pro-crypto as well. You, you find anyone who's pro-crypto is often holds democracy uh, to the highest regard, and anyone who's against crypto is... Uh, it's an authoritarian, and I, I very much like the, the saying by Peter Thiel where he says crypto is very uh, libertarian and machine learning is very authoritarian. And I think this can be shown because of one individual, such as a government, e.g. China, uh, who actually stole the majority of the, uh, the AI technology from Silicon Valley via espionage. Um, yeah, they, they basically don't like crypto, but they love AI. So I think that is a very apt description of like how governments are leaning um but yeah was, uh, i'm very interested in how we can apply cryptography to voting and have these completely verifiable fraud uh, votes which completely eliminates any form of election fraud ever the hard thing to do is the identity system and uh making sure that the the individual uh you can verify their identity but the the information compromising their identity is completely shielded that's the difficult part. But yeah, what does the world look like where we eliminate vote fraud from every single election on the planet? And I think as well, like my long-term vision for crypto, say if we give it like 50 to 70 years, that if this does really take power away from big governments who abuse the power themselves, that basically that's going to reduce the size of the government overall and empower uh, the individual. So yeah, I think that's the, the way that the the... Oh, actually, that, that was my main point. My main point is that it actually eliminates authoritarianism from the planet. And I think the majority of human suffering has come from authoritarian governments and these wrongly implemented socioeconomic policies um, because they were not thought of or conceived of with the, the individual at heart. And I think with crypto, we actually have the potential to eliminate authoritarianism from the planet if we continue reducing the power of big government. That's kind of my ultimate like life mission, and that's something that I'd very much like to work towards. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think that there is a potential to do something on the govern government um, governance level uh, beyond the monetary level. And so this is something that I think about a lot, but did you watch Black Mirror? 
I do. Yeah, I've watched Black Mirror a few times. Remember the last, I think it was the last episode of the second to last season where the bear becomes the politician and it's just like some shitty, crazy degen bear. Mm. And the whole thing is like when you do allow for anyone to vote and you listen to the mass majority, but in a way where the majority is not educated or well-versed enough in politics or important issues, like what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, this is a big problem with democracy, right? It's kind of like the, the mob ruling. And I, I mean, if you want to take a look at history, you have like Athenian democracy, where it's just the men who are allowed to vote, uh, or wealthy men, or you can have like a plutocracy, which is the, only the wealthy allowed to vote. So I completely recognize the problems of democracy. But I'd much, much rather have an inefficient democracy than a benevolent, not benevolent, um, than an evil dictator, right? And I think with authoritarian authoritarianism, that is a possibility. So I think the the best thing to do is just to. It's tricky. Governance is such a tricky question. This is why I write in the article as well. Like govern governance is the core issue that humanity has always faced, and it's led to the rise and fall of empires. It's also led to the the greatest suffering in human history. I don't actually have the right answers to it, but my solution is that these blockchains or these networks. They're very easy to spin up and they're easy to basically create new experiments in socioeconomic systems. And I think that is the correct way, right? You're saying, I don't know what the, the correct answer to governance is, but let's experiment. And blockchains are the easiest way to experiment with those new governance models or socioeconomic models as well. That's what I find so fascinating about like the, the, the space in general. It, you can't really do that with nations. You can't really experiment with new models for so, something like a quadratic voting imagine saying to the u.s government i want to implement a quadratic voting system this is how it works there's no chance like the system's too ossified so you need something new something flexible to test out these new ideas so i think for me that's the most important thing is saying listen i i know the the problems with democracy i really do i don't have the answer for it but i think what the best thing we can do is experiment and um, try new models as well so i'm disappointed that we didn't figure out all of humanity's life questions um <laughs> But um, I think there was also something great. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was just um, almost like a random person on the internet who said this. But blockchain has been, you know, ultimately this tech uh, outcome of the greatest level of human coordination in history. So I definitely think it's really, really exciting. I agree with you. Like there's so much experimentation to be done. And hopefully it'll get to a point where the government can also um, participate. I think they're trying, like, you know, with stable coins, but ultimately we want to see more when it comes to the governance side of things for sure. And, like, what do you think of Balaji's uh, network state? That is the, the primary reason I want money. Um, <laughs> network state. For real. Um, yeah, I think it's very, very important that individuals have the ability to form in the cloud uh, and then organize on land. I think that is incredibly important because if you look at nation states when they become too authoritarian, People are not like in blockchains, right? You can you can enter and leave a blockchain at you wish. You cannot ex enter and leave an authoritarian regime as you wish. So I view it very very much applying that same principle in blockchains. Where Balaji talks about this, he says, if I'm in a network, if I'm in a blockchain network, and I want to change the protocol in some way, I'll use voice and I'll create a, pro a protocol imp improvement proposal, right? And if that gets rejected, then I can exit the system and build something anew. I think people definitely need the ability to do that with governments as well. Um, and I view that being very important when it comes to uh, protecting like individual rights. For example, if some country abuses my individual rights, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to say to the government and use my voice, please, will you respect my individual rights? No, I'm going to leave 
and I'm either going to go to a different country that uh, aligns with my rights uh, much more, or if no countries exist, then hypothetically you want to start a, 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 a digital state, right? Exactly what Balaji talks about. And that links to the sovereign individual thesis, absolutely, that the nation state is an exhausted institution for the industrial era. And when institutions become exhausted, like the Catholic Church did in the 16th century, that they basically become really inefficient and violent. And the state leverages its monopoly on violence to basically liberate people's access or uh, limit people's access to uh, liberating technology, which is what they're doing to cryptocurrencies. And the, the ultimate thesis of this is that the state or the nation state in general is destined to fall and that new societal structures will replace that fall as well. And I definitely view uh, Balaji's vision is on the, definitely on the right track for something that we could see in the next that's uh, 50 to 100 years. Okay, so I'm going to challenge you on one of the premises of what we were talking about just now, Please. which is the concept of, you know, ultimately I think this is the concept of interoperability and composability and the individual freedom to kind of move around or make differences or make changes to their decisions depending on the current state and where they see value, right? Like that's the idea that we can just move around at any time. Going back to what we were saying about traditional values, and I think inherently that loyalty is a traditional value that is no longer something that people really hold dear. We hold more dear our, um, our tendencies toward freedom and this idea that we go towards value. So how do you reconcile these two concepts? Is it, is it best when we have a certain threshold under which the threshold has to be met in order us for us to leave, but then who decides on the threshold? Kind of like, what are your thoughts around this? I think the, the thing that you're talking about is loyalty to the state, which I have none to any state. I just view the state as kind of like a representation of the collective values of a society. I value the values and not the state itself. So I'm not patriotic. I know a lot of people are, and I can understand why. But um, yeah, I'm very much loyal to the principles that I hold as an individual. I'm not really loyal to where that is on the planet right i'm willing to move anywhere apart from france of course um, <laughs> um yeah apart from france i'll move anywhere on the planet um simply because of the english french rivalry you can't do that yeah did uh, you see that tweet where it's like and the french <laughs> i did not i didn't know but i'd love to see it it was so good i think it was like um I think it was Associated Press, they were saying that we shouldn't use uh, the collective as derogatory. So like the people, the like French. in a mean, like, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And the French was one of the examples. Yeah, the French deserve it, though. They deserve everything they get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, unfortunately, I'm not really loyal to any nation. I'm not really patriotic. Um, I'm just loyal to my own values. All right. All right. Um, so how are you feeling? Like, uh, is there anything else that's been really top of mind for you recently? Uh, top of mind? Not really. I think, we, uh, I think we had a good conversation. I think I pretty much covered... We covered so much ground. <laughs> a lot of points. There's a lot of points. Um, we did. There was a lot of content here. Yeah. You should have a, you should have a good podcast. It should be decent. Uh, how long yeah. does it take you to edit all this stuff? Um, so I've been doing this thing because uh, I don't know if it's a lazy or I try to really convince myself that's because I think it's quite cool to just be really raw. It's literally going to be what we had just now. Maybe some light editing where I breathe too hard. But other than that, <laughs> oh, I, I like that. So, yeah, so, yeah transparency. <laughs> We're not done yet. We didn't do the lightning round. And what's the lightning round? 
the lightning round is where I ask you a bunch of questions um, and you can tell me why because some of them might be interesting but like it's really just like quick and fun stuff right I'm ready I'm ready Let's all right go. ready okay sweet or savory savory favorite thing that you recently read uh the spoke in Darasustra uh, by Nietzsche wow that's so deep <laughs> you read it? it have you read the book I haven't read a lot of Nietzsche, to be honest. Yeah, it's amazing. Nietzsche's my favorite philosopher. Really? Yeah. I didn't like him for a long time, but I actually love him now. Yeah, he's, he's really like, hardcore. He is. He is. But he's also right. It's one of those things where he's like, fuck, he's right, isn't he? Right? You don't want him to be right. But, like, yeah, I think what he did um, in terms of, like, the transmutation of all values and, like, the death of God, I think it's all correct even though I don't want it to be correct, but like when value systems basically crumble, what happens to, to society? Like there needs to be new value systems that emerge and that's where his whole idea of like the Ubermensch comes from. So basically whatever comes after man is like the Ubermensch, right? And I think a, a lot of people historically took that in the wrong direction, e.g. like the Nazis and took it down the eugenics route. But I think, I think he's right. Um, and it's, it's really difficult for to accept he's right as well. It took me a long time. I, I wrestled with Nietzsche for quite a while, but I actually love Nietzsche. Yeah, I think he's absolutely brilliant. I think he's the best philosopher who's ever lived. Okay, now I'm even more curious about my loyalty question, but maybe we can save it. I feel like that's going to be a long one. <laughs> sure. Okay, um, your favorite part of the day? Um, the one that is infused with tequila. You really love tequila. I actually do. I'm a big tequila fan. I'm a big tequila fan. Okay, so basically, um, you really like debt and alcohol. Those are your two main vices. Debt? Did you say debt? Debt. <laughs> I'm not in debt right now, am I? Fuck. <laughs> no, I love leverage. Leverage and alcohol. I put it that way. Okay, cool. Do you work with music on or in silence? Uh, I work to techno music. I can't listen to any lyrics. Um, but yeah, I just blast like Berghain techno twenty four seven. Very cool. We wanna we wanna see more tweets with your playlist up. Yeah, I'll, I'll link some stuff after this. Amazing. Um, your favorite entertainment entertainment series of all time. I love Breaking Bad. I really I really like Breaking Bad. Yeah, I've watched it a few times. It was actually Game of Thrones for a while, but they completely fucking decimated that series. Um, so I'd probably say Breaking Bad. I really like the, the character development of how he was a good guy. He went to an evil guy, but he kind of understood how he got there. So that was like a really interesting part about human psychology that I loved. Um, but yeah, I, lo I love Breaking Bad. I think it was sick. Do you identify with him? I mean, I'm not, I'm not really dealing with meth right now. I mean, I, if another FTX happens, I'd be completely open to it. Um, but no, I don't really identify. <laughs> I don't really identify with a bald chemistry teacher who deals meth yeah <laughs> okay so um i had this question where it's like your idea of the best day or evening but actually um because you're single i want it to be what is what is your best day ever like how would it be probably like uh like a nice aston martin dps super allegro drive through italy in the summer very chill on the coast um i also love architecture as well uh probably like something rome related something like great art uh, i think that'd be really nice um yeah something like something not too uh, what what do people normally say to this question <laughs> that's why that's why I, what's yours you, you tell me yours 
I'm not gonna lie. I think it's so funny how like um people <laughs> choose really expensive dates. Like I'd be like, I don't know, like dinner and drinks, but you guys are wild. You're like, we're gonna go to Rome. We're gonna I'm gonna rent a car and we're gonna see some art. Like that's amazing. Yeah, fly me out to Rome. I'm ready. When yeah, are we doing? I, I love uh, I love skiing as well. I think skiing is very peaceful. So maybe something skiing related as well. Um, I think one thing I've noticed in my many years of dating, I think that um, what's important I, is really um, definitely like there's all these really cool activities, but I just feel like we need to talk a lot. Like I need to get to know you and ask the hard questions, you know? <laughs> well, like you've been doing right now. <laughs> yeah, literally. This is, guys, this whole podcast is just an excuse for me to meet single guys. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I didn't really expect some of the, the questions. On this <laughs> I'm not expecting you to give me like a list of questions I'm going to ask, but you didn't. I was like, fuck it, I'll wing it, that was fun. Oh my god, I love it how you tried to prepare for that. That is so financy. <laughs> a lot of people do. Like they, they give like uh interview questions, but you should change it up every interview so people don't know what's coming next. Be, uh, yes. <laughs> so what I've been doing is um for season two, first of all, guys, this is not true. The podcast will have many amazing females in season two. Um, but also the questions will be, you know, changed up so people won't know what they are. You know, I had to keep people on their toes. <laughs> It should be interesting. I'll listen to some of the uh, some of the female conversations uh, season two. Should be interesting. Yeah, there's gonna be more chemistry. No, I'm just kidding. What are you, you gonna ask them? What are you gonna ask the girls instead of me? I can't tell you that. <laughs> I'm gonna be listening, so <laughs> I'm gonna find out one way or another. Yeah, you're gonna listen. That's that. You know, this is the only way I can get people to listen to it. <laughs> Good okay, I have a few more. Um, your best piece of advice you've ever received. It's probably it's gonna sound so fucking cliche. It's it's just um don't really care about what other people think. I mean, I I kind of like developed this myself. Like people always say, like don't care about what other people think. I said, uh, but my personal thing is don't care about what people think unless you deeply respect them. Um, and like respect is also a thing that's that's earned as well. So I think a lot of people, I mean, you can say one thing, right? I mean, it's kind of like where I, where I grew up and stuff like that. I think possibly. A misunderstood individual um and i can talk about all this stuff and no one will really like give a fuck and i'm like well, why should i give, should, why should i give a fuck right um but i'll only um listen to people that i really respect and i'll take criticism on board that way otherwise like the opinion basically means zero to me it sounds bad but i mean people just get too caught up in what like other people's opinions and stuff like that so yeah, I, I don't really listen to people's opinions unless I uh, personally respect them. No, I like that. I think that's really balanced and makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, all right. Most bullish and least bullish protocol. Good question. This is going to, I'm going to have like people doing charts, uh, charts with this um, by price. <laughs> Let me think. I'd probably say I'm really fucking bullish on layer twos, right? Uh, very bullish on optimism and arbitrum and also sin. I'll give those three on the bullish. Um, on the bearish, fucking FTT, Luna. <laughs> no, that's such a no, you can't. <laughs> uh, stuff that hasn't launched. Um, I'm not really bullish on sushi. A lot of people are trying to revive sushi right now. I know some of the sushi devs. I had conversations with them here in Dubai. Um, nice guys, but like. And I'm not saying that I'm not bullish on the, the people in general, but even they aren't too fucking bullish. Like, do you know what I mean? Uh, I just think it's like a really forced revival of an asset that, I mean, it's probably not going to work. I mean, I hope it does, right? Um, like, sushi is kind of like iconic in DeFi. 
Um, but I just think they lost their edge in the deck space and they're struggling to regain it. So they're exploring other verticals to try and dominate in, uh, in terms of uh, DeFi derivatives, like NFT marketplaces. But I don't really think they can compete in a DEX category. So Uniswap is just absolutely uh, decimating them. And even the DEX aggregators, like new stuff like CowSwap, which is really amazing, um, they're just going to aggregate them all to Uniswap anyway. So. Um, not really bullish on sushi. Uh, anything else that I really dislike? I'm not bullish on Doge either. I'm really not bullish on Doge simply because of the. It's already rallied, right? And retail's obviously always looking for the next 100x and 1000x and like the the lower unit of account as well. Um, and Doge re- really doesn't fit that bill anymore. So I think there's going to be different memes or different maybe it's not dogs this time i don't know what the fuck it is i'm really bad at predicting retail stuff i'm too middle iq i missed all the fucking trends and stuff like that so um yeah i'm not bullish on doge and sushi no again yeah like solid takes um but i feel like hedge funds you know i never trust you guys with leaking any alfalfa but (laughs) (laughs) okay like those those were all my personal tea i've wrote about them for a long long time um but yeah those are my personal theses all right cool <laughs> <laughs> okay um is there anyone in crypto you haven't had dinner with but would like to uh justin's son <laughs> <laughs> just me and his majesty um having a good dinner in dubai i think it'd be very funny um i actually liked justin's son for a long time but i actually really like him now for some reason i think he's uh quite entertaining um mm-hmm. well, i'd love to have dinner with satoshi right i mean who has satoshi <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd love to have a good few tequilas. Thank him. Um, who else? Uh, I have this strong like feeling that whoever Satoshi is doesn't really like alcohol. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I can <laughs> turn his or her opinion or their their opinion. Who knows? <laughs> um, I think Satoshi's dead. Yeah. Oh my god! Like he got murdered, or she got murdered, I, or I, they. I I think I think he died. I think it's Hal Finney. I think it was Hal Finney who was Satoshi. Okay. All right. What's your spirit animal? Um, lion, probably. Really? Why? I mean, I've got four plants in Aries, so I just fucking... <laughs> I should chill, but I can't. Um, is lion the correct one? I don't know. I've never really thought about that question, to be honest. You took me... You <laughs> <laughs> haven't been on enough dates. <laughs> it, might be, it might be a first... Time I've ever been asked what my spirit animal is. Girls normally ask what's your fucking star sign, so I know yeah, really I know the star sign answer. I can bullshit my way through that. But spirit animal, not so sure. <laughs> um, there's like this meme where this guy texts his mom, and he's like, "What time was I born?" And then she's like, "Get out of the room immediately." <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. My girls love star signs. Yeah, you know. Okay, so actually, what's yours? I am, um, I'm a Scorpio and my rising is Leo. And so I've been doing this thing where it's become such a thing now that I want to do more research into how astrology came about. It has a very long history. And like, I get it, like the planets, whatever, but I'm like, who, who made up the rules about the planets that like, you know, the moon is feminine and like Leo is, uh, I don't know, like hotheaded, like who made up this stuff? That's a very interesting question, and it will lead you down a big rabbit hole. Um, I mean, this stuff like kind of like dates religion as well. It's really interesting. There's actually this trader called WD Gam, 
and he was basically a Freemason, and he used astrology in the financial markets, and he, he's also one of the best traders of all time, and he just basically traded off the movement of the planets. Um, and there's a really great quote, I think it was by JP Morgan, he said, millionaires don't believe in astrology, but billionaires do. And I think these people are hinting at something, so I'll let you explore that on your own. I'm not saying I believe it 100%, but it's certainly got an interesting history. I think the moment that I was really like, okay, I have to kind of look into astrology a bit more closely was, um, well, now it's just like so trending. But also, there, there was, it was factual that American presidents actually have an astrologist that they consult before really important meetings. So I was just like, okay, there must be something if like the US president is looking into this for whatever reason. Is it like safe just to be safe so that you're not sorry? Or I don't know. Yeah, I mean, people have always been superstitious for a very long time. Um, I mean, you can say astrology was kind of like the precursor to astronomy. Um, so, but I mean, a lot of people in the modern day still use it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit weird. It's interesting to see how people think in history, though. I kind of like investigating these weird ideas just to kind of yeah. get, get grips of kind of like how the previous human mind was functioning before. They knew about atoms or bacteria. Um, I think it'd be like a really interesting way to look at the world. And I think that's going to happen in the future as well. People will know stuff that we don't know. They're like, oh, how did how did they think one thousand years ago? And uh, we'll look at them how we how we did with our ancestors as well. Yeah. So, do you have any horoscope preferences? <laughs> <laughs> I only go to OG witches. Only OG witches, uh, who I'm actually certain are legit witches. So. Wait, but like, do you date only Virgos? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not really. No, I mean, I don't give. A <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like how girls are. Right? I mean, um, no, it's not really a preference of mine. Oh my god, you're not committing. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> and what does yours mean? You said you were queer. Um, what, what did you say? What? Okay, McKenna, you have to take me on on a date if we're gonna go down this. <laughs> I want to know what does yours mean? Tell me. Um, no, I can't. I literally cannot right now. We're gonna move on to the next. I'm, go, I'm gonna Google it, right? Like, tell me what. It is. <laughs> okay, so we know you love tequila. What is your favorite tequila? Wow, that was a fucking duck and weaver if I've ever seen one. Um, tequila, I love Cascabel. Um, I think that's really nice. Uh, Don Julio is probably my favorite tequila. Amazing. All right. Um. Last one. What is your latest music obsession? <laughs> <laughs> what? I've been putting on. I mean, I made a, I made a decent amount of money recently, so I've been um putting on <laughs> <laughs> putting on these Jewish songs, right? And like some of them really fucking slap. I'm not gonna lie. Like a, uh, a bunch of Jewish guys just singing together. Um, Are you Jewish? I'm fucking not Jewish at all. <laughs> I am not Jewish. Uh, but these, they have some bangers, I'm not going to lie. Um, really fucking good. <laughs> oh my God, can you please send some? Uh, let me send it right now. Because I don't know what that's like. Are you got speakers? Can you play this out to the fucking speaker? Oh my God, I could try. Let's see how it goes. I actually really want to. Like, my dream is so I can play music during the interview because I think it'd be such a vibe. But I can't because it just ruined the entire podcast. I'm not going to lie. I've basically learned um, every single lyric to this song. I cannot. I'm not Jewish. Uh, let me see. <laughs> okay. there you go. I'm really excited. I'm hyping myself up. 
Where are you? Uh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> this is really fucking funny. <laughs> okay, let's do this. Let's see what my MacBook can do. Um, uh, a little bit. I'm not entirely sure. Wait, I can't hear, can't hear your voice. Um, uh, don't worry. I will edit this into it, guys. Don't. I'm gonna edit this in into the podcast. <laughs> it is incredible. It is properly just ascetic Jews singing at a dinner table, and they all have microphones. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. I fucking love it. Some of my Can friends you- at home are Jewish as well, so I'm very looking forward to uh, going to a Jewish wedding. Should be a really good fun. I think you really want to marry a Jewish woman. Is that like what you're trying to? Is this some type of uh, psyops that you're doing right now? <laughs> Um, I I don't think I've ever dated a Jewish girl to be fair. Um, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'll I'll try them. I'll try them out. See what the see what they're saying. Traditional values. Oh my god! And yeah, they totally like they have to work in all the time. New York, right? So many. They have literally a community in Brooklyn. Well, there you go. There you go. I have to visit Brooklyn sometime. Yeah, we weren't able to solve humanity's problems today, but we have solved McKenna's dating problems. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, J- Jewish woman maximalism, I think, from, from now on. Yeah, I was the catalyst to bring you to New York, and then now I've helped you figure out it's Jewish women, and it's all going to happen. The fate, fate is rolling in right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be coming to New York this year at some point, I think, live there for a bit. I mean, everyone says it's the greatest city on earth, right? So I need to verify uh, this claim. So I'll wait and see. I'll wait and see. And actually, this is such a great time because um, everyone uh, I've been speaking to has actually come back to New York. It has become a new ground for crypto breeding. Yeah, yeah. I know I know quite a few uh, people in crypto in New York as well. Let's do it. Let's start a, a meetup because the meetups here actually really suck right now. Not even joking. Yeah, I need to go to one of the Milady Revs as well. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, cool. That was really uh, um. I was like, do we even need a wind down? I feel like that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think that was good. I think that was uh, not too bad. And do you yeah, know the outro or what's the what's the deal? What's um? I don't know. I'll do it if I feel like it. I'm not that planny. <laughs> yeah. I need to know the vibes first. So I'll like go back. I'll listen, and then I'll decide like if it needs any editing. Like maybe I was cringe somewhere and I have to like edit it out. It's uh, it's two hours, right? You're gonna have to edit it down a little bit. Or... I don't think so. Mochi's was two hours. I didn't edit it. <laughs> yeah, just leave it as is. Leave it as is. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. Do you like it? <laughs> It'll be interesting to listen to. Um, Are you gonna re-listen to it so you can hear your voice? <laughs> I don't know. I a lot of people say my accent. I mean, I can understand myself, right? But a lot of people can't really understand my accent. So there's no accent problems this time, thankfully. Um, but yeah, well, where, where, where would you say I'm from based on my accent? You know, honestly, you kind of are giving me, um, what's that guy that was in Peaky Blinders? That, that, uh, bro? 
Tommy Shelby. Yeah, you're giving me Tommy Shelby vibes with your accent. Well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> is that what you're going for? <laughs> no, but I'm, uh, I'm pleased to hear that. Tommy Shelby is uh, a G. Yo, but like he's just so violent for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's from Birmingham, right? Uh, you ever been to Birmingham? You said you're from, or oh, you lived in the UK for a little bit? Bro, I got mugged in London. I'm not going anywhere else in the UK. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I mean, you don't wanna, you don't wanna visit up north, then. I, no, I actually think up north is a lot more safer than London. I think London's kind of like the most dangerous place to live in the UK. Uh, depending where you live in London, of course. But there was a guy who got stabbed in Cambridge, and no one even helped him. I think like that was something where I was like, my American roots. I really felt kind of missing home because. At least in New York, which never happened, if I got hurt by someone, people would come to my rescue, like, immediately. Like, they would just rally around me. But, like, literally, this guy got stabbed in Cambridge, and everyone just watched him lay on the ground. And it's like, you know, it's a city of just, you know, freedom, liberal, loving students. City of fucking geeks. No, I, I, don't, I actually think Cambridge is great. I, I would have loved to have went to Cambridge, but I just knew I would never fit in at all. I don't know if that's true. No, I absolutely. Why are you guys so obsessed with class in the UK? It's so like. It is actually no. This is uh, it's a legitimate thing. Um, it's very, uh, it's very elitist in the UK. Um, so for example, I've come down to London, and uh, speaking with people in London, I they ask me where I'm from, and I tell them where I'm from up north, and they literally look at me and they just turn away and start talking to someone else. It's completely fucking rude, and it's extremely elitist, especially the British government as well. All of these guys went to the same school. They went to Eton. They went to Oxford. They studied PPE, uh, philosophy, politics, and ethics. And there's like one route, and there's no real diversity within like the British Parliament, for example. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, where's the engineers? Where's the scientists? Where's the mathematicians? And I think a lot of large aspects of society are left out of the elite political class. Um, but yeah, in England, it's uh, it's extremely bad. There, there is a, a large divide in the versus the north and the south uh the south think the the north is very poor which it is but it's kind of like the fucking plebs right like not everyone's a pleb just because they got brought up in a poor background but yeah that's how, certainly how they treat people so it's quite funny to just uh hopefully i'll get a mclaren 720s and i'll ride it around in london with my northern accent and uh <laughs> it should be good revenge um to say the least yeah, no, for sure. But like, honestly, I, I didn't really enjoy those people because I thought they were really boring. Like, you basically, the worst, you know, the worst humor in the world. Like, yeah. Northern, like, northern people have really good humor. Like the northern, <laughs> northern people and the Irish people get along absolutely excellent. But like you go down, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just the humor is so dry and not funny. Uh, but they still laugh at him. I'm like, for fuck's sake, I can't sit around these people. Um, I don't even remember them making jokes. Like, they just kind of exist. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. Uh, but not all Southern people about it. I have, I have a good few Southern friends as well. But certainly some of them are very, very elitist. Um, yeah. But it's kind of funny. Cause it's all, it's all mummy and daddy's money, right? Like, they literally say mummy and daddy on the phone. Uh, <laughs> yes. When they're talking to the parents, you hear, you hear like girls and boys do sh shit like this. Um, so yeah, it's pretty wild, but I mean, they have a, they certainly have like a silver spoon up their ass, to be honest. Yeah, you know I feel like my, what? You know the silver spoon thing? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just verify. It might sound weird, right? Someone's American, you hear that? It's like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> we can carry some things over. We still remember being colonized, so it's all good. <laughs> I have no response to that. <laughs>
But um, one of my favorite things, I feel like I really love like old money aesthetic, but with like new age vibes. I don't know if that's a thing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree. Um, I mean, I didn't really have, I mean, I would have loved like went to private school. I think my, my education was so terrible. Like when I was younger, this is why I was like so misbehaved because the school was that bad. I was just bored as fuck. So bored 24-7. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I would have loved to have, like, a, a proper education. I actually taught everything out of books. Like, uh, we do GCSEs here um, for, like, uh, what the fuck do they call that in the States? Just, like, um, the SATs or something. I don't What do you mm. call it in the, the States where, like, 16 and you do exams there? 15, 16? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, SATs. Mm -hmm. SATs, yeah. And then um, uh, at the end of high school, right, you do that to get into college um that those a levels i actually taught all myself so i just had books and i didn't um i mean i went to the class but i just sat in the back and i just taught myself like physics uh math and chemistry those are like my three a levels um mm -hmm. but I, I taught it all out of like the book so um, but that's so much more respectable yeah. sorry oh that's like so much more respectable though yeah it was uh it was good fun <laughs> <laughs> and you wouldn't be you today if you had like the other stuff. You'd be the people on their phones calling mommy and daddy. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. I don't know if I would have said that, but I'd, uh, mm -hmm. I'd certainly be a different person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is cool. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for your time having me on. I appreciate it. It was a very good conversation. Thank you. Let me know if you want to hang out, not just with me, but like if we go to Rome, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit focused right now, but I should be in the I should be in the US sometime. So um, Okay. I'll let you know. All right. I'm gonna edit this in. This is guys, this is when McKenna rejected me. <laughs> Anyways, uh it was a pleasure and um yeah, uh, have a good day. And you're you're still in the States, right? You said what time is it there? Yeah, um it's just twelve o'clock right now. Twelve o'clock. Yeah, well it's uh <laughs> Yes, dear stuff. Bye. <laughs>